up, guys? This is Patrick Madmore coming to you live from Silicon Valley for another episode of Madmore Stories. It's another amazing day here in Silicon Valley. I'm always so fortunate that I get to say that every time I get on this call. And it doesn't really matter for most people these days because it's summer pretty much uh, on this side of the hemisphere. But trust me, when you're living and working in England and it's rainy and shitty, it does matter uh, during the, the winter seasons. But anyway, um, you know, I thought it would be awesome to talk with someone from Google today since uh, we just wrapped up another exciting week of Google I.O. And uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to reach out to a good old friend, buddy, and colleague of mine uh, who's going to be guesting with us today. Um, today's guest is Pablo Slau. Pablo works at Google where he's currently running the uh, global education team for Google Marketing Services, driving the education strategy and deployment of Google's external partners around the world. Most recently, he was head of performance activation for the Americans, which is a team of specialist salespeople focusing on developing search solutions for Google's top clients and agencies. Pablo joined Google in November 2009 while he was living in Mexico. He started originally as head of industry, focusing on travel, finance, fast-moving consumer goods, and healthcare verticals, and became the country's general manager in 2012. Before joining Google, Pablo worked as digital director for CIE Entertainment, OCESA, and Universal McCann in Latin America. Uh, prior to that, he was living in Europe, in uh, Spain, and Barcelona, among other places, where he launched a number of very uh, innovative and interesting startups, including DoYou.co, Plush, and Creative House. A serial entrepreneur at heart and always somebody who's close to technology, advertising, and e-commerce, Pablo's personal mission is to promote the Internet and the mobile ecosystem. He was a board member of the IAB in Mexico for a number of years, an Endeavor mentor, and co-funded the Masters of Internet Business in Mexico. Uh, you can check out the Master of Business at http dot, uh, forward slash forward slash And most recently also started a co-working space in Mexico for budding entrepreneurs called thepool.mx. Pablo holds an MBA from IESE, the University of Navarra in Barcelona, Spain, and a BA of Economics from McGill. And uh, he's a multilinguist, multicultural kind of guy, speaks English, Spanish, and Portuguese. In his spare time, um, he lives in the Bay Area with his wife and three kids and enjoys traveling, mountain biking, and snowboarding. So, Pablo, welcome to, uh, welcome to the show. I appreciate you could make it uh, for a second time since we had some technical difficulties last time. So thanks again for uh, for this Redux. No, no worries. Happy to happy to join. Cool. Well, uh, listen. It seems like you guys came off a really exciting week at Google I/O. Um, what were the uh, what were the most innovative uh, and cool things that you saw at I/O this week? What what had your jaw kind of dropping? I, I think one of the things that I thought was incredible was just to see the advances we've had in like you know machine learning and AI. Um, you know, we we went from being like you know a, a digital first to mobile first to kind of AI first company and and just to see the speed of at which we've been able to to really just just amplify machine learning into our product has been incredible. Um, you know, one of the things that that jumped out at me was was just how the the assistant could make phone calls with like you know to to book an appointment or something like that with human interaction. Um, it's just great to see that evolution um, because I think it's uh, it, it's really it's really just the you know the pinnacle of things that are to come. Yeah, that was really that was a really really cool demo. It was kind of like it was almost it was it's amazing. It was kind of surreal slash scary how real 
that conversation sounded right. And it's hard to believe yeah. that that was kind of like AI doing that. What's, um, you know, in your opinion, you know, somebody who, who works very closely with, you know, who's worked a lot with large brand advertisers and agencies and CMOs, and I know that you're also doing a lot of work with small and medium-sized businesses these days. What are the implications for kind of like AI and machine learning when it comes to advertising and marketing? I think that the, 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 the biggest kind of, you know, opportunities that exist are really that, um, you know, by by using, you know, machine learning through automation, you know, we can automate our campaigns and we can automate our creatives um, to really meet the needs of our customers. And I think I think that's something that, that has been, like, eye-opening. It's just, you know, in the past, it was hard to kind of adapt your marketing to every, you know, every action that, that, that um, consumers do. But with, with machine learning and automation, you're actually able to be present in that moment where, where it matters to them and they're, they're trying to find the goods or services. Yeah. Yeah. And so this, this should make it easier for us to run campaigns kind of like without necessarily manually running them anymore? Correctly. Like moving away from like manually bidding and manually creating, um, you know, ads, it, it allows us to just automate all of that and just make our lives a lot easier. And, and, and what I always say is then we can focus more on the strategy and on the, you know, on the measurement attribution pieces, like how can you, you know, how can you really work with audiences more rather than being focusing on, you know, on, on the kind of operational pieces, which, which can be time consuming. Yeah. 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 I hear you. I mean, it, it, it is, you know, as a, as an entrepreneur myself and, you know, running a lot of my own marketing, I'm always staggered at, you know, uh, how, how manual some things still are and how time intensive it is to, you know, set up all these campaigns and track everything and make sure, make sure that everything is properly attributed and all the pixels are in the right place, right? It's, it's tough. Correct. And I can understand, I can imagine why, you know, companies who are doing this at scale, spending, spending tens or, or even hundreds of millions of dollars in that, in, in advertising kind of really want to get this kind of automated as much as possible. Totally. I mean, when you, when you look back, you know, and you've been at Google, you know, nine plus years now. So, you know, you've obviously seen a lot, done a lot. You, you've worked with, Big companies, small companies, you know, what are uh, what are some of the major changes that you've seen over the last three or four years in marketing? Um, I think that the, one of the biggest ones is really just that digital marketing is now table stakes. I think I think in the past, you know, um, I think in the past it was a much it, it didn't really have a seat at the table. I'm seeing I'm seeing CMOs really kind of leaning in on on digital marketing uh, and specifically mobile. Uh, and, and really the other thing is there, there's a big move for CMOs to be able to justify, um, you know, to justify their, their marketing investment in terms of the impact to sales and revenue, which, which starts to give them more of a seat at the board and things like that. Um, you know, I also think that it's not about having your kind of your brand campaign and your, your performance campaign and then, you know, your offline and your online. I almost feel like, you know, the most successful CMOs are people that are able to really blend the two um, and really show how one drives to the other. So, you know, even for your biggest brands, um, being able to being able to really show that impact uh, yeah. is, is is really important. So you you know you must deal with these kind of people all the time, right? I mean, what what do you think some of the biggest challenges for today's CMOs are when it comes to you know the intersection of kind of digital, mobile, and more traditional forms of media? Yeah, I, I think there's a few of these. I think one one that's really kind of changed in a major way is that when we think about um, the internet and digital when it first started, it was kind of put.
pushed by brands and it was pushed by the universities and governments, right, to really get everybody to adopt the internet and get online. Um, one thing that has been a striking difference, and this has happened really, you know, I mean, it started with the advent of the smartphone in 2007, but really, it's really taken off in the past three or four years has been just like customers, you know, our, our, our customers are much more curious and more demanding. They're super impatient because they now have at their fingertips a device that can give them whatever they need right there, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And so, so that, that's, you know, as, as marketers, we really need to look for ways to become a utility to them because if not, we become irrelevant. Um, right. Not only that, we need to be able to answer their questions fast. Um, yeah. And, and that's, that's been a big one. Another one that I think is, you know, that, that, that I think is really important is, is just how you use your data and how you can amplify it, combining with other data sources, right? Like using things like remarketing. Uh, to reach new audiences or, or similar audiences to, your, to the people you're already talking to, because that allows your advertising to be much more relevant to the consumers, right? Yeah. And yeah. one of the things that I did kind of allude to and I touched on was just, you know, tying your marketing spend to results, um, you know, and really understanding how, how you, you are, you know, your marketing is contributing to the success of your company um, is becoming tantamount to really just creating really strong marketing investments. And, and really starting to treat your marketing dollars not as not as a as a as a marketing spend, but more of a cost of goods sold. Um, you know, and and really allowing you to open your budgets and say, hey, listen, as long as I keep bringing on profitable sales to the company, why wouldn't I keep spending on performance marketing? Right. Right. So really, right. like a, a mind a mindset shift on that one. That's a, that, you know, that's a really interesting idea, right? It's this idea that essentially if we are getting to a place where through our data and through automation, performance marketing is becoming predictable enough to drive a certain amount of units sold and a certain amount of top line revenue that, you know, in effect, that's not, that's no longer uh, an expense, right? Rather, it's like you said, it's, right. al it's almost a cost of doing business. I mean, ha have you seen... CMOs and organizations start to embrace that kind of thinking? Because uh, that's pretty radical thinking, right? I mean, for, for a CFO to contemplate, you know, that kind of a traditional line item going to the cost of goods sold on the income statement, that's, that's pretty radical. But it sounds, it sounds logical if you, if, if you think about it. Yeah, and, and, and you'd be surprised. I mean, one of the places where I saw this really happening is that, you know, uh, online travel agents, um, were, were, you know, were, were people who really started to embrace this. And then where, where kind of the, the penny dropped for me was when we started to see airlines, you know, you know, uh, legacy carriers kind of adopting the same methodology and saying, you know what, the, the, the money we're spending on performance marketing is actually going to be part, a line item for the sales team and not for the marketing team. Um, so, so we've seen that happening. And then we've also seen blends of sales and marketing coming together um, and really just saying, hey, you know what, for us it should be all about performance marketing because our brand is out there and we're, we're a legacy carry. We don't need to work on that. So, Interesting. So we've seen that happening where, where they're really, they, they, they've made that shift. Um, and it really does change the way that you, you look at your marketing because then you're not an assigned budget every, every quarter where they go, okay, this is every quarter or every year, this right. is your budget for marketing. It becomes much more like, okay, are these profitable sales that you're driving? And if you are and you can keep that margin there, then keep spending because there are times when you might spend more, there might be times when you spend less. 
So right. it, it's a good balance to get to. Yeah. Yeah. I can totally see that. I can totally see that. I guess, you know, I guess the risk on, on, on the one hand for CMOs might be, you know, that they, you know, if, if, if marketing, if, if um, performance marketing was to become part of the PNL in that respect, you know, would they, would they still have as much control over it as they had in the past in terms of being able to shift, you know, the mix of marketing dollars from one type of activity or one type of channel to another, right? Because, Effectively, what you're saying, you know, it, it sounds very plausible, but on the other hand, that would essentially bake that spend in and fix it, right? Sure. So you wouldn't have that level of flexibility if you all of a sudden said, well, you know, there's a great opportunity that we want to explore on experiential or on social yeah. or whatever. But, but yeah, yeah. It's, got, it's got pros and cons like anything. Um, right. You know, one of the things I'm curious about is kind of your thoughts around, you know, how has the evolution of, you know, performance versus brand marketing kind of shifted the last couple of years. And and I say that because, you know, when you look at some of the data from the American Marketing Association, you know, you see that, you know, consumers are exposed to like somewhere on the neighborhood of 10,000 brand impressions every single day, right? Which is which is mental if you think about it. It's completely crazy yeah. that we're inundated by so much messaging. And so on the one hand, yes, we have all this performance marketing, we have all this data, we have better attribution than ever, we have more tools. On the other hand, it's becoming so much harder to cut through the noise. And so, you know, marketers and CMOs still need to worry about how do I build an emotional connection with the user, right? And so I guess my question to you is, how do you build an emotional connection with the user in the age of digital? Right. And 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 it is tough, uh, but I think that that where where it really where where that intersection starts to work well is when we start thinking of like ways how can we be useful to our customers, how can we bring them utility. Um, right. And I think you know I, I've I've heard of some great examples of this is like you know a dog food company, um, you know creating a mobile site that helps dog owners identify dog friendly parks or dog friendly restaurants or you know, or hotels that allow dogs, like, and, and then making it map-based, just making it something that, hey, obviously that's not their business, but it's a utility they can bring to their people, and maybe on the side, whenever they're in the store, they'll think of, oh, this was a brand that helped me navigate right. where I can take my dog, or, you know, even in, in the in the end site or the app, I'm able to buy my dog food. I mean, these are things that, that stick with people, and if you can make yourself useful, people will keep coming back to you. Right. Yeah, I think that's, that's a, one of the key things. That's a really interesting point of view. You know, that's uh, I, and I'm hearing this more and more, particularly when it comes from B2B marketers. But but I'd be interested in your thoughts about whether you're seeing this, you know, like like, you know, this dog food example is clearly more B2C. Yeah. Um, is, is there a fact is there an effect more and more of a trend of, you know, brands and products and services feeling that they have to provide value and give something away for free to continue to be present in the consumer's mindset? Yeah, and it's not so much that you're giving them something away for free. What you're doing is you're helping, you're helping them solve for something that's, that's important to them. And I right. think that being, you're partnering with them more than you probably did in the past. And, and I think yeah. that, you know, I think this is, you know, I think it's something that, that, we should strive for because, you know, as, as marketers were already told, you know, oh, we spend all this money on marketing. I don't know where the money goes, whatnot. But truthfully, you know, we don't want to swamp people with, with, with thousands of messages. But yeah. if we can start bringing them something that's useful to them, that they start to use 
everyday kind of thing. It, it, it's 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 a it's a service, something that they use. That will stick with them, and they'll see they'll they'll start to to create a good relationship with the brand. And I think that's really important. Um, and and there are many ways you can do this. You know, I mean, you see you see you know I don't know there there's there's now uh, there's now brands that are helping you like look at clothes in in a kind of AR space or things like that. I mean, is this you know it's 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 a way to kind of help the the you know help the consumer see what the clothes look like on yourself before you go to the store. You know, and then when they get to the store, they'll already know what they want. So you're kind of helping in that consumer journey, right? And and I always kind of say that these are more kind of like mid to upper funnel kind of actions. That will then drive the person to then eventually buy, right? Yeah. So I think what we have to see is I, I see a lot of performance marketers kind of moving further up in the funnel because when you're on a mobile device, your let's say your your customer journey may start much earlier where you do a bunch of searches or you look at a bunch of sites and you should be present there and then kind of follow them through. Yeah. And the more information you can give them along the way, the better. A great example is uh, Realtor.com. Um, created some really incredible uh, content on their site about how to buy a house, how to find a mortgage, how to decide on the best real estate uh, agent, things like that. And I think those little nuggets provide value to a customer, which then they will think of you later and they go, oh, I remember, you know what, I mean, I should use Realtor.com. They really helped me out do this, right? So yeah. I think it's important to, to do that and not assume that you're going straight for that sale. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so it's a, it's a, it's got to be a blend between the brand and the performance. I I love that. You know, I I really love that idea of providing value. You know, even before you even think of engaging in any kind of commercial relationship. It's funny yeah. that you mentioned uh, Realtor.com. I, you know, I had the pleasure of interviewing their their head of content marketing uh, at the time, a woman called Kim Moy, who's now head of content marketing over at Rike. And, uh, and she, she told me a lot about what their strategy was in terms of content. And you're right. It was exactly that. You know, they, they actually were able to aggregate so much data that they put out a white paper on migration patterns, uh, because yeah. they could see kind of like when people were moving across the country and where they were going for new jobs. And of course that had a direct impact on, you know, their, their willingness to buy or rent a home. Right. And so, uh, yeah. it's, it's, it is very much, uh, that philosophy of, help people and be top of mind and provide value. And that at the point where, you know, they are thinking about your product or your service, you'll be in the consideration set and they'll have like hopefully some sort of a warm and fuzzy feeling about your brand. Right. Correct. Yeah. Totally love that. Totally love that. So, um, you know, when you think of kind of where, where things are going these days and you think of, you know, the intersection of digital, you think of the intersection of content, um, what are some other kind of great examples of, you know, brands kind of like really being smart about using digital, about using content um, and providing value that, that you can share with us? Yeah, I, I, I've actually got one, one example that I love is um, how Coca-Cola was able to, um, to, to basically work a campaign into this concept of like identifying a moment that was important to millennials all yeah. around. Like, you know, you, if you remember the cans and bottles with people's names, um, people were going crazy for these. They were trying to find, you know, um, one of the one of the the insights they had is that you know millennials love to see pictures of themselves, and second most they love to see their <laughs> name on things. 
And then it was like, so, so they really, they, they really kind of built on that and kind of said, all right, well, we've only got so many we can print. But then they created a, a, a vending machine that would print them for you. And then also yeah. you could send off for them. And people would pay $5 for a, a bottle or a can of Coke with their name on it, plus shipping and whatnot. And they ended up sending, you know, hundreds of thousands of these bottles around, around the, the U.S. And I, I thought it was, it was very smart because they really tapped into, you know, how people were using their mobile devices, how they wanted to share with each other. Their, people started to get their cans and then share them on, on Instagram and Facebook all across the board. So, I thought that was a that that was pretty smart of intersecting online with offline, um, and and then you know and then we've also seen I mean that's a, a specific campaign for Coke, but even when I think more broadly of like brands that have really embraced digital, I look at people like Target. Um, you know, Target as a as a brand has made a step change decision in how they operate their business. Um, yeah. In, in the past, big department stores would have their department stores, and then their online store. And their online store was like one more department store. And if you walked into a store and I said, and you said, oh, I really need this, they'd say, oh, maybe I have it at that other store. But they never say like, oh, let me get it online for you and send it to your house. And then if you're online, they'd never say, oh, go to the store. They'd say, oh, I'll have it in stock whenever. So they competed with each other. Yeah. What Target did was they kind of reshifted the attention and they said mobile was the entry point to the store. And so they basically said, everything starts on the mobile device. And from the mobile device, we will do everything. So if you're in a store, something's not there, the, 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 the people that work with you at Target would actually look for it online and say, do you want me to send it to your house or do you want me to have it delivered to the store? You tell me what works best for you. And really changing to this omni-channel approach was really incredible. And they actually saw that an omni-channel customer for them was 8x more valuable than the in-store person that showed up. Sure. So you can imagine, like, when you embrace that and start to see the value you can bring and you're measuring these things properly, you can start to see the, the, the value that, that, that you bring by putting them together. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And, you know, it's, it's fascinating when you talk about Target. You know, I have a Target right near my house. And, uh, you know, over the last 10 years, I've kind of slowly seen how that store has evolved and to some extent how it's become – much more of an experiential experience, particularly when you talk about home right. purchasing, right? And yeah. and I really like that. I, I, I never really expected it from them, but all of a sudden when I'm walking through the aisles and I see that they've got like a display of like what a bathroom would look like or like what a small dining room area would look like, and all of a sudden they have things that I'd look at and I'd be like, wow, I, actually, I might, I might actually buy that, you know, for yeah. my kid's room, or I might actually have that, you know, in my in my kitchen table because it makes sense. And you know, it's, you know, I was talking to um, to a, a friend of mine who was actually an ex-Googler as well. He's now working in a, in a different industry. But um, but he was telling me about, you know, some of the challenges that retail was having and how, you know, companies like Macy's and others are completely reimagining retail and what that's going to look like in the future. Um, yeah. yeah, in the future, you know, do you need to have all that stock, you know, in the store? Do you need to have 15 different sweaters? Uh, available in different sizes that you then got to fold and move around and restock and reprice every time. Or, or you can, can you, you know, can you create an experience where people can go into a store and they can, you know, slip on, you know, some AR, you know, goggles and, uh, you know, an AR display and see what they would look like and then, you know, just have it sent to their home so they don't even have to carry it around and shop, right, with a bag. So it, it's, it's fascinating, right? I think a lot of that stuff is changing. 
and you're right. I think, you know, being kind of like uh, present in, in, in different parts of the consumer's lives like that is going to make the shopping experience better and easier for everyone. You know? Yeah. Um, you know, one, one thing I'm always curious about, and, you know, you see this particularly in startup land, but you do, you do see it in corporate, and, you know, we all – we all have our share of, of mistakes that we make. Um, what have you seen? What's been a big learning for you about, you know, a campaign or something that you've, you've seen or worked on or a trend that you've seen in the industry, which maybe hasn't panned out as you expected on the marketing side, and, and what did you learn from that? Yeah, I, I think, uh, I think a, a few, you know, a few that kind of come to mind. One is, um, you know, um, just in, in terms of how people have valued mobile um, and how it drives the store or how it can drive the desktop and things like that, um, you know, a lot of a lot of clients will will still be in in uh, last click attribution. And if you're in last click attribution, you're practically saying you don't believe in mobile. Um, right. And yeah. really, really, the speed at which people have improved their mobile sites and apps and whatnot has really been very slow. And in some cases, there are still many people who are not um, fixing their mobile sites. And, and these are things that if you don't do it, um, customers nowadays, um, they say that if they don't get what they need in two seconds, they'll just go to the next link. So, yeah. you know, yeah. if your site takes 12 seconds to load, you're not going to get anywhere. People will just leave. Uh, you know, yeah. I talked about that impatience earlier, right? So I really think just, just embracing mobile as the kind of like the principal driver of, of your marketing and, and where most people will feel your brand is, is really important. The other one is, is really just around measurement. I think that um, I feel that um, attributing properly uh, and really measuring what you're doing, using your data is, is something that, that not, many, not many CMOs and marketers have embraced. They're getting better at it. But, but that's been some of the misses we've had is where we've tried to implement ideas, um, you know, like moving to more of this kind of, you know, profit-based marketing um, and whatnot, and where it's failed because um, our, our, our clients are not measuring what they're, what they're, what they're doing, right? And, and in general, CMOs kind of don't feel that they, they need as much data. And so that's where I really think it, it makes a difference because if you can't show the results of what you're trying to implement, um, it, it, these things will fall flat, right? Yeah, and I always right. say, it, it, yeah, it's better to it's better to basically do like a test and learn and have like a culture of testing and learning and then yeah. iterating. And and I always say instead of trying to blanket across everything, do it for a smaller market and then from there see how it works and then you can roll it out to everything. Yeah, yeah, that 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 makes perfect sense. It, it's like it's always it's very synonymous with the Silicon Valley startup culture of don't guess test, right? Yeah. Um, and, and, and we always, you know, talk about that in, in, the, in the startup environment because, you know, you got to just get out and be willing to try stuff and break stuff and a bunch of stuff you're going to throw it against the wall and it's not going to work and you just have to iterate very quickly and try different things, right? But I'm Correct. curious on that note, when you talk about the importance of data and you talk about the importance of attribution, how much of that is an organizational problem within marketing teams, particularly, you know, in more traditional industries? And the, and the reason I ask that question is, you know, I recently held a um, a panel discussion up in San Francisco where we talked about the importance of data science, and we talked about the importance of product marketing within marketing teams. And and so I was curious, is is there a lack of seriousness around the discipline of product marketing and data science in in more traditional marketing teams, in your opinion? 
You know, I, I think that sometimes, in, yeah, in, in more traditional, um, you know, in more traditional companies where, where, where we had the old school of marketing where maybe your, your product team that's putting product in the stores is not aligned with your team that's buying the TV campaigns, that is not aligned with the team that's buying the online campaigns, what you tend to have is each of them will use a completely different reporting tool, each yeah. of them will have a different KPI, and at the end of the day, what you need to do is really is, is just how do you bring them all together and have one KPI that they all work towards instead of yeah. like being in silos and competing against each other, you know? I mean, yeah. sometimes a promotion in-store will compete with a promotion online, and it might be cheaper online than it is in the store. These are misses that are unacceptable nowadays because the consumer has access to all of those touch points, and they'll just call it out. Yeah. So I, yeah. I really think bringing it together under one umbrella and really being able to 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 have a holistic view um, is really is is really important for 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 marketing departments. And and I think more and more we'll see more people shifting that way. But but you'd be surprised how many people are still not there. No, look, I I I I'm not. I'm surprised in some cases, but in so many cases, even with fairly sophisticated smart later stage startups in Silicon Valley, what I see often happens is they start building their product marketing team too late, right? Yeah. And so, you know, the people that own the data typically end up being the product management team, but the product management team's not necessarily communicating with the, the, the user acquisition and growth team. And so there's a disconnect on, yeah. you know, what's happening with the data and how to interpret that. And so that's why I was asking, you know, kind of organizationally whether, whether there are gaps in people's marketing teams, because one thing is agreeing on unified metrics and reporting dashboards, but another thing might be, okay, well, if we're going to go that way, who owns that? Yeah. <laughs> right? I agree. Who, who owns that? And who's in charge of tracking all that stuff and then yeah. consolidating all the information and then communicating to all the different teams, right? Yeah, and, and, and there's another piece of this that I'm starting to hear a lot of is, like, cu customer lifetime value. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. And and it's one of those things where, you know, many times people say, Oh, how do I do this? And I I'm always like, listen, just start with some assumptions, you know, you know, and validate them and, and basically there's not gonna be a perfect solution. Don't wait for a perfect solution. Just start thinking about it, you know? Um and then you need to start to ha understand how much a customer is worth to your business and yeah. then try to win customers and not specific product sales. And 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 more often than not I see many Many brands go out there and say, "Oh, you know, for this um, for this uh, sale of a, of a of a ten dollar pair of socks, I'm willing to pay so much per click, right? Um, right? While when you look at some of the bigger players like an Amazon or a Booking, when they look at that ten dollar pair of socks, they see that as, oh, this might be another prime customer for me. I'm right. going to spend hundreds of dollars for that click because I know that once I get them engaged, I'll be able to, to continue to have a relationship with them. Exactly. And I have a three to four year view on this sale rather than it's a ten dollar pair of socks. Yeah, I, so I, think I would that's, say that's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Don't invest in the sale. Invest in the customer and look for customers, not for like, oh, where's my next sale going to come from. Yeah, I think you're making a really good point there. I think a lot of companies don't think that way. And certainly, you know, the way the way we operate our kind of like our, and we look at our financial metrics and the way kind of like financial reporting happens on, on Wall Street, that certainly doesn't encourage that kind of thinking. It encourages that short-term thinking of just looking after the sale, whereas, yeah. you know, the companies that, you know, have, and I think Amazon, it's fair to say, has more discretion there on, 
you know, kind of setting their own goals and running their business as they, as they see fit, they are more focused on the long term, right, which is building that customer relationship, like you say. Uh, listen, Pablo, I'm conscious of time, so I, I, want to, um, I want to wrap up here with our five quick tips. Uh, okay. This has been super interesting and super helpful. I, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I could go on for hours talking about this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so I probably have to invite you back at some point. But, um, but, uh, but yeah, let's dive into the – I'm just going to ask you five quick questions, just need five quick responses, and then we'll wrap up and, and I'll be on our merry way. Um, but Sounds first good. question is um, – What's been the most influential book that you've read recently? Um, I think I think one book that I that really sticks with me is um, you know Switch by you know by Chip and Dan Heath. I I really like yeah. this concept of bringing change to the rational and emotional mind. Like you know how you have to bring them both on board. So I, I really think that's been been very valuable in the past years, especially with so much change in technology happening. Okay, and. Uh... Yeah, I have a feeling that you might be a little bit biased here, given where you work. But what's what's one marketing tool that you simply couldn't live without? Uh, yeah, I'm a little biased. Uh, it's definitely Google Analytics. Um, <laughs> I really, you know, I I I tend to find that Google Analytics has so much incredible information, um, and and most users, it's like a it's like an iceberg. We only use the tip of the iceberg of what it can provide. So really going deep with Google Analytics and using it to to help you build out your campaign, to help you build out your marketing strategy is important. Okay, and what's one trait every talented uh, or aspiring great marketer should seek to improve? Uh, we we talked. Of, I think we talked about this throughout. It's really about data and analytics, like you know. And especially measuring attribution, you know, where are you spending your marketing dollars and how is that driving business for, for your brand? I really think that's the, that's one of the key, one of the key, to, uh, you know, elements to have nowadays. Gotta love those numbers. Okay. Uh, um, fourth, what is your, what's your personal favorite brand? My personal favorite brand and like being a little biased is I love, I love Burton. Um, but why do I love Burton? Because they don't even have a logo or whatnot. It's just a name, and it's synonymous with snowboarding, and they've managed to create a whole culture around it. Yeah. Um, when I when I think of marketing, one of the brands that I really love to, to quote is Ario. Um, I think that, you know, which is part of Mondelez, um, I think that Ario has done incredible strides on bridging online and offline and really being there in the moment and capturing great moments. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's impressive what they've done. And, and I think their examples are, are worth following. And last but not least, you know, when you think of all the top, you know, CMOs around the world and top marketing people, you know, uh, and, and, you, and yourself, you know, as somebody who's worked in marketing, you worked in sales, you're at Google, you know, where, where do folks like you get advice from? Where do you get your marketing advice? Um, I honestly, like I, I, I tend to like, you know, look to trusted advisors, agencies, and, and, and even, you know, CMOs and, and people who work in other industries that are different from your own. I always find it's great to get a perspective of how they're looking at, at the world. Um, and, and it, you know, and it really helps to, to, to get ideas because you never know if something that's, that's working well in another industry, could it be adapted to yours? You never know, right? And that kind of brings me back to my, my earlier point about testing and learning. I think that, that's really where you're going to learn the most. Learning by doing is by far the best way. So really just allocating part of your budget to test and learn and really go out and test different things is really important. Gotcha. 
Listen, this has been super helpful, Pablo. Again, want to thank you for your time, not once but twice. I think we've all learned a ton on this podcast. A lot of great case studies, a lot of great examples. I would love at some point to interview the CMO of Burton because I think that would be an awesome conversation as somebody who is also a, a, a big snowboard fan. Uh, in the meantime, folks, um, this is Patrick Madmore signing off from Madmore Stories. But, you know, we had the honor and the privilege of speaking with Pablo Slau of Google today, and it's been really great, interesting experiences there, lots of good material, lots of good case studies. For more information, you can check out uh, www.madmork.com slash blog for lots of juicy content on the world of marketing, startups, marketing careers, and tech in general. You can also follow me uh, at madmork on Twitter as well as facebook.com slash madmorkstories to check out our live events, our upcoming podcasts, and to book any coaching sessions to get any help on marketing that you might need. So that's me. I'm signing off. Uh, thanks again for your time. Pablo, been awesome. Looking forward to catch up again the next time when I'm sure uh, you'll have more juicy tips to share with us. <laughs> okay, thank you. Take care. Have a great weekend. Take care.